0: Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. It's good to be reminded of the gospel, isn't it? And the truth of what God's done for us and his love for us. What was, goodness, what's happening up here? Was that your bass that made that crazy sound? Mercy, oh. Randall. Rock and roll, man. Rachel made her singing debut today. She's got a good voice, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. It's good to sing God's praises. I, you know, I'm I'm convinced that we need to be a singing people. And if you don't like to sing, I um, would encourage you to give it a try, that we uh, learn to, to move forward in this life by singing God's praises because it engages our heart. I don't feel like singing a lot of Sundays, I'll be honest, but when we are obedient to lift our voices to the Lord, it's amazing what the Spirit does inside of us. Amen. Amen, good. We uh, had some singing last week, didn't we? <laughs> I saw on Facebook uh, one of our uh, kids, one of her parents posted on Facebook that her daughter, I think she's six uh, maybe, uh, she said, uh, that, that church is a lot more groovy than our church. <laughs> I, I said, yeah, they, they are more groovy. They what? Yeah. Yeah. I think Dr. Sherman used to sing like uh, Rachel, right, just bust out in song in a little sermon. I'm not going to, I'll spare you that. I'm not going to bust out in song <laughs> anytime soon, but I loved the, the grooviness last week of uh, that band, and Aaron told me if I ever um, called on him to just come up and do a song like I'd asked their music minister to do it, he'd kill me, so uh, <laughs> I won't put Aaron on the spot like that. You know, I I miss having childcare, obviously, Isaiah, you know, and these kids, it's a struggle having them in worship sometimes, but to see Leighton jumping on the pew there uh, during at the cross, I love that. That was awesome. I I really, I hope, uh, Laura, that that she's able to uh, bring joy as she worships the Lord in her own way as a a two-year-old does. It's just amazing to see the kids worshiping here in our service. I mentioned at the end of last week's service that I was just Wrecked, that I was convicted and, and uncomfortable and challenged in a good way, in a way that is aligning with Scripture and that is aligning with the gospel. You know, I, I know that the, the message we heard was difficult to ingest, maybe, but it was prophetic, it was biblical. And it really challenged all of us to reject the the pantheon of false gods that this culture is constantly putting before us as if they are our only options. Dr. Lattimore called us to pledge our allegiance to Christ and to Christ above all. And we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, this book Uncommon Ground by Tim Keller and uh, John Anazu. We've been talking about this third way, this this way of rejecting left and right in order to follow Christ and, and not getting so caught up in what the gods of culture are telling us to get caught up in, but being faithful to God's word as expressed through his son, Jesus Christ. Dr. Lattimore critiqued, both sides, I bet he got flack from his own people. I bet he got more flack than I did, I'm sure. But I pray that Woodmont will continue to stand with everyone who's, who's been denied justice, everyone who's been oppressed in order to make our city and our world more like heaven and less like hell. I know it's not gonna be easy to do that kind of work. It's really difficult to choose that third way. It'd be so easy just to go with what culture is saying. But as Christians, we are called to follow a different path. And it is hard, but I pray we can have the courage to follow where God leads us, to reject our own comfort, our own preferences, even our own uh, opinions about, I have lots of opinions, but they're not God's opinions on things. We need to be faithful to continue to look for where the Lord is leading us and that we would boldly follow him. Today we're gonna continue our series in the book of Acts. We've been looking at this unstoppable church and the reason it's unstoppable is because God, the Holy Spirit, filled his people in Acts chapter two, the new covenant people of God, who at this point become a mighty force for the kingdom of God throughout the world. Last week, Pastor Lattimore followed the journey of Paul and his friends throughout their second missionary journey I love maps, I know a lot of you like maps as well, so let me show you on the the map here. It's good to have Travis here, and it's good to have Trey and Anna Heyman. Welcome back to you guys. I saw you in here, just snuck in. It's wonderful to have you. I was talking to Travis about groups starting last night at New City Church. It's exciting to see uh, what God is doing in this new church plant that uh, Woodmont has helped to send out. Uh, We keep praying for you guys and look forward to uh, partnering more in the future. So we know that Paul launched out of Antioch. Antioch over here is kind of the sending missionary church for all of Paul's journeys. I wish that Woodmont would be, we we have been a sending church, haven't we? We've launched several trips from this church before, but I want to see us become more even of a missionary church that is sending people like the mighty church of Antioch. He goes to his hometown of Tarsus, which we know that was his, his place where he was raised, a Roman province. Then he goes through these churches in Galatia, this region that he was in during his first missionary journey to check up on these churches. Then we know he got stuck in Troas and then he received a dream from the Macedonian man who really ended up being a woman because it was Lydia over in Philippi. Made the trip quickly to Philippi then came through Thessalonica and Berea into Athens where we stopped last week in Acts chapter 17. And Rachel rightly pointed out that uh, all the learning in the world that Vanderbilt and other schools can offer doesn't mean anything if we don't know God. And that's what we're going to see today in our text as well. Tim Keller says that if we're going to engage the world faithfully as Christians, we can have all the learning in the world, and that is important. Rachel said that, Jude, do your homework, right? That stuff is important, but our hearts is what has to, to be right before the Lord. Our hearts are what matter the most. All the learning in the world won't mean anything if our hearts aren't right with God. And then we see that Paul went to Corinth where he set up another church. We're gonna see that church become a, a place with a lot of issues. I hope Woodmont is not like that church. And then it goes over, he goes over to Ephesus briefly where he, he met in Corinth, he met some Italian tent makers named Priscilla and Aquila and he left them behind in Ephesus intentionally to prepare Ephesus for his return trip during his third missionary journey. We're gonna see today the end of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his third missionary journey. We're gonna see Paul encounter many religious people throughout his third missionary journey. Some of these people even claim to know God. Some of them even claim to know Jesus of Nazareth as Lord. But Paul quickly deduces that something inner is missing in these people's lives. He's wondering, are they truly believers in Jesus Christ? Are they regenerate? Are they born again? Are they truly saved? Do they really know the living Christ inside of them? Do they have the Holy Spirit? I was talking about this issue just this week with some guys in our small group about how do we know that people you know, who pretend to be Christians, but their lives bear little to no evidence of the Holy Spirit's work, how do we know if they're really believers or not? In 1703, a child named John Wesley was born to a prominent church family in the Church of England. His dad, Samuel Wesley, was the rector of Epworth, the town he was born in. His mother was the daughter of another famous minister, And John seemed destined, appointed for greatness as a man of God. At 11, he was sent to the Charterhouse School. I should have done that in a British accent. In London, where he was trained in the classics and in biblical studies, biblical, biblical interpretation. At 17, he entered Oxford, where he stayed on for his master's degree, and eventually became a paid fellow and professor of Greek and logic. He became his father's assistant and was ordained by the church at the young age of 25. Wesley was then called by the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, I love that name, to go to America and become a missionary to the American Indians in Georgia, where he failed miserably. He was unable to convert anyone. He was somehow in the knowledge in America that he had been going through all the motions of the Christian life, he knew all the answers, but he had no relationship with the living God. He had never received the Holy Spirit in his heart. He was forced to return to England and he wrote, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Not long after that, in May of 1738, he was 35 years old, he wrote this in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. Some of you have been there, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. Sounds like a great meeting. <laughs> About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He was saved at the age of 35. That warming that Wesley experienced in his heart of hearts was the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Until the Aldersgate experience, John Wesley, a man who knew more theology and was seriously dedicated to the study of God's word and ministry, had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And he was not filled with the saving power of the Holy Spirit. He was an unconverted leader in the church. In our text for today, we're gonna see the, the same phenomenon I've titled this sermon after what Paul says to the people of Ephesus in Acts 19, uh, verse two. It says in Acts 19, two, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's a question for all of us today. The reality is that many people who claim to be Christians don't have any kind of fire, they have no passion They have no vitality or life because they do not have the Spirit living in them. The stakes are really high on this. It's really, it's a life or death issue, isn't it? If people are truly born again or not. We're gonna see in our text three religious profiles that are still present today. First, we're gonna see those who've not received the Holy Spirit, those who've not been baptized into Christ, and are therefore not Christians. Second, we'll see those who have indeed received what Titus, in the the book of Titus, calls the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. These are real deal believers. These are people who've been born again. But then we're gonna see a third group, people who may have been born again, but they don't bear the fruit of the Spirit out in their lives. They've grown calloused, to the pool of the Spirit in their lives. So whatever boat you find yourself in spiritually today, we're all gonna be challenged to allow the vitality of the Holy Spirit to make a powerful difference in our lives today. We're gonna look at these three profiles by looking at some case studies that Dr. Luke provides for us in this text from Acts chapter 18, verse 22 to 19, verse 7. So before we dive into the text, let's set it up. Paul ends his second missionary journey, and then he starts his third one. Look at Acts 20, 18, verse 22 and 23. You got that, Travis? Eighteen twenty two. I bet it's up there. I can read it from the, there it is. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he d- departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Real quick turnaround here. He gets back from his second missionary journey and goes to the church in Jerusalem, we think is what that means. And then he goes up to Antioch to see the the brothers and sisters at the church in Antioch, and then boom, he's out again going over land again through Galatia and back to those churches for a third time. And he ends up going back to Ephesus where he had left Aquila and Priscilla behind to to get ready for his return visit. He knew the Lord had a good work in, in mind for Ephesus. But before he can get back to Ephesus, there's another preacher who comes to town named Apollos. Apollos is a Jewish guy from Alexandria. And this is case study number one, the spiritual life of Apollos. What was his inner reality for this guy, Apollos? Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Apollos is an impressive guy. He stands out in any gathering. He knew the Hebrew scriptures forwards and backwards, he came from the academic cosmopolitan city of Alexandria. You know, the, the largest library in the world was in Alexandria. And the text says he was an eloquent man able to captivate an audience with his rhetorical prowess. I had some pastor friends who I recommended watching Dr. Latimore's sermon from last week. And one of the first things they all said to me was, man, I wish I had a voice like that. I <laughs> said, Me too. So this guy could captivate everyone when he spoke. Verse 25 says he was fervent in spirit. The Greek word for fervent there means burning. He was on fire when he spoke. And people were absolutely in awe of him when he spoke. He was a gifted teacher and preacher. But he didn't know about the cross. He was a disciple of John's. John the Baptist. He definitely had heard about Jesus of Nazareth and all that had happened maybe uh, with his connection to John. He may have even heard some of Jesus' teachings. But he had no knowledge of the gospel. He didn't know about the empty tomb. He didn't know about the atoning work and sacrifice that Jesus did for us on the cross. But Apollos had a heart for God's people. He wanted to get them ready for the coming Messiah, like John the Baptist did. The problem was the Messiah had already come and done his work and gone back to God the Father. He He was missing the whole key to the entire story of God's word from the Hebrew scriptures. He wanted people to know about the Messiah, but the Messiah had already fulfilled God's promises from the Old Testament. Thank God for Priscilla and Aquila, And for Paul, having the forethought to leave them behind in Ephesus. Look at verse 26. He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I love this this little section here. These people didn't stand up in the synagogue and shout, you fool, you don't even know what you're talking about. Get off the stage, you heretic. I'm glad that hasn't happened in here either. Uh, But they they take him home. They take him aside. They get him in private. They say, look, man, and they, they explain to him the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe they washed his feet like Jesus did for his disciples on Maundy Thursday. Maybe they celebrated the Passover meal together and explained that Jesus is the spotless lamb whose blood over our lives takes away our sin and removes the power of death and the law. Apollos of Alexandria was born again. He was baptized into new life with Christ and raised into the Holy Spirit's guidance I love how Priscilla and Aquila were used by God. These are tent makers from Italy. They were rural, uneducated people. Apollos was a very cosmopolitan, sharp-dressed man, very well-educated, eloquent, brilliant thinker. And they sit him down and explain the truth of the gospel to him. And how about Apollos for humbly sitting under their instruction and receiving that? Do you have a teachable spirit here today? Or are you calloused? Are you elitist in your thinking? Apollos wasn't, thank God. He was hungry for the truth, and the truth set him free. One commentator said, Apollos is the patron saint of those who find that religion is not enough. There's a condition, right, of openness and and humility and willingness to learn that's so important for all of us who wish to grow in the spirit. Every time we open God's word, we should submit ourselves under its authority and under the Spirit's authority in order to truly hear God speak to us and to then obey it. So what happened to Apollos after he received the Holy Spirit? He becomes a rock star for the kingdom of God. Look at verse 27. When he wished to cross to Achaia, that's where Corinth was, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. They sent him an introductory letter. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Even our belief isn't something that we get to take credit for. Our belief is the gift of grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ, the Messiah, was Jesus of Nazareth. Apollos became one of God's great global ambassadors, we know that he did indeed go on to Achaia where he powerfully ministered in Corinth. Remember Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's a beautiful thing to see how God's using Apollos now in this powerful way. And while that's going on, Paul finally shows up in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and he finds people there who have the exact same issue that Apollos had. This is case study number two. We're gonna look at the spiritual life, the inner reality of the disciples of John. Look at Acts 19, verse one. "'And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, "'Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?' And they said, "'No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit.'" I love that answer. "'And he said, "'Into what then were you baptized?' and they said into John's baptism. What we're gonna see is the same issue that Apollos had. You know, I read something recently about the, the first settlers in Tennessee. They, they were colonials. It was during the 17 uh, you know, 40s and 50s that they had come over the Appalachian Mountains and into Tennessee to settle the, the fertile areas around here. And these people were so far removed from what was happening in the colonies That it was several years after uh, the the Revolutionary War, even, that they knew that that we had not been uh, we'd, we'd been liberated, that we'd become our own country. They were still living here as loyal subjects of King George. They had no idea that that George Washington, they didn't know who George Washington was. They were so far removed from what was happening here that they didn't even know of their own liberation. I think that's what's happening here. These people in Ephesus had heard the teaching of John the Baptist but they missed the most important part. They missed the climax of that story of the liberation that had now come through Jesus Christ. These people were probably from Palestine, from Judea, the the region where Jerusalem was, but they had since been scattered abroad and they didn't know what had happened through Jesus Christ. I love that reply to Paul's question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? They say, received the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? But Paul knew what to do. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Look at verse four. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. 12 disciples sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's a mini Pentecost. We see four Pentecost experiences in the book of Acts. The first one was with Jewish believers in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, a mighty rushing wind comes upon them. And then in Acts 8, when Philip is in Samaria, revival breaks out and the Holy Spirit falls on Samaritans. What? And then to Gentile believers through the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 10. And now to dispersed Jewish believers who only have half the story and are missing the most important part. Again, revival breaks out. It's a joyous occasion. These disciples of John start praising God in other languages. They're speaking in languages they didn't formally know. People from all over the city are hearing about this great movement of God in Ephesus. What had happened to these guys? What what took place inside of them that led to this great revival? Jesus told us what the Spirit does when he comes. In in John 16, in the upper room, starting in verse eight, he told them, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit had come to these guys and shown them the truth about who they were and who God is that they were more broken and flawed and needy than they ever could have imagined but they were also more loved and accepted than they ever dared to believe they were baptized into Christ dying to themselves and being raised into a whole new way to be human a new way of existing in the world a new creation and they were flooded with a sense of security and assurance with the seal of the Holy Spirit. My guess is there's people here today and watching online that need that assurance of salvation and security in your own life. These guys knew in their core that they were now indeed children of God, adopted by His grace into God's holy family forever. And it had a tremendous impact on Ephesus and really the world. The rest of chapter 19 shows how Ephesus became a key city in God's plan to advance his kingdom. Ephesus would never be the same after this. We know from secular history that statues of false gods were torn down and burned across the city as revival came to Ephesus. Which brings us to our case study number three. What about us? What's our spiritual life look like? What's going on inside of you today? I can't tell, I can't know what's going on inside of you, only God can, but you know what's going on inside of you. What is it that we need in order to obtain and maintain the life of the Holy Spirit in us today? Kent Hughes says that the Holy Spirit releases his fullness in our lives Through genuine, ongoing faith. Genuine, ongoing faith. When we truly die to ourselves, when we surrender all that we are, when we say to God, I owe all to you and I'm in awe of you, when we really live in that life of the Spirit, then we understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit in us and moving in us. But a lot of you have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in a long time. Some of you maybe have never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's no evidence of the Spirit working in your life, if there's no power, if there's no joy, if there's no discernment from above, if there's no grace, then clearly you're not walking by faith in the Spirit. Colossians 2.6 encourages us to walk like we did when we first received Christ. As you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord so walk in him now is the implication. Some of you know I got to go to Australia for four summers, for part of four summers. Technically it was winter down there in June and July. And while I was there, I met a guy named Eric. I'll never forget him. He was 75 years old and he was like a big kid. He just had this goofy grin on his face and he was just on fire for the Lord. He was evangelizing everywhere he went. He'd go to the grocery store and he'd talk to the lady there about Jesus. He just couldn't contain his joy and his enthusiasm for Christ at the age of 75. And I I asked the pastor, what's the deal with this guy? And he said he got saved last year. And before that, he was a kind of a miser, he was a retired widower who just kinda sat around all day, but he got saved and he started coming to church and he was just on fire for the Lord. I said, man, I remember what it was like when I first got saved. We need to have more and more people who have that vitality and vigor and be excited about what God's doing, not only in their lives, but in the world through them. Eric had the freshness of a new believer. Maybe some of us have grown stale over the years. We're blessed in our church to have many saints who've walked with Christ longer than I've been alive. <laughs> it's a, a beautiful thing, a long life of discipleship, beautiful. But let's not grow stale in our spiritual walk. It's an amazing thing to, to have this discipleship life. But our, some of us have that bedrock of faith in Jesus Christ, but the fruit of life with the Spirit has fallen away. We all know that established churches, including Woodmont Baptist Church, need to recover a strong sense of vitality and excitement and life, and that can only come through the Holy Spirit living in us. Which leads us back to our three categories of people in our church. We have non-Christians, people who've never received Christ or the Holy Spirit, though they may have some level of intellectual belief My dad is a godly man. I've I've heard him tell this story many times. He's a retired pastor. He worked for Lifeway for 23 years. He was valedictorian of his class uh, in high school uh, in Texas. In Texas, they do everything big, right? He had like 800 people in his graduating class and he was number one. He went to college at at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas, graduated in three years, felt God's call to go to seminary. He, He married his high school sweetheart, my mom, they went to Southwestern Theological Seminary, Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake, Fort Worth, Texas. And he excelled in his studies there, and then he went into the ministry. He got a job as an associate pastor at Ritchie Street Baptist Church in Pasadena, just outside of Houston. And while he was on staff there, they had a youth revival, and he was sitting on the platform, as we used to do back in the day. He was sitting on the platform hearing the preacher speak of the gospel, and his heart was strangely warmed. And he knew that he had never encountered the living God before and it was time for him to surrender his life to Christ. He told my mom, she said, oh, you're just rededicating your life. He said, no, this is the first time I've ever put my faith in Christ. She said, all right, let's do it. And they knelt down together and prayed for him to receive Christ. And he felt the Holy Spirit come upon him. And he said, now what? I'm gonna lose my job. (laughs) Are we gonna tell the pastor, my boss, that I got saved at the youth revival? I can't do that. He told him, and the pastor graciously received him and baptized him along with 10 other teenagers who'd been saved at that youth revival. Sometimes we know all the answers, but our hearts know nothing of the Spirit. There's a second group of people in our churches, people who are already Christians, and for you, you just need to keep walking by faith every day, allowing the Spirit to lead you. Continually believing in Christ means continually receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there are Christians who used to believe. These people need to hear what Jesus told the church in Ephesus in Revelation. They had left their first love and as a natural consequence, they had lost the vitality of the Holy Spirit. Revelation 2, five, Jesus told them this, remember therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, repent, and return. Some of you need to hear that word today. Remember, repent, and return. If we're gonna be God's people in this world, if we're gonna be a church that really brings the kingdom, if we're gonna be the kind of people who reject the false gods of culture and move into that beautiful third way of the gospel, We can only do so by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you did not abandon us to our sins and folly and the the weakness of our human wisdom and frailty, but that you came to rescue us, that you came as your only Son in the flesh to live a perfect life among us and give us words of life and show us what love looked like, love that ultimately drove a nail through its own hand on the cross. God, we thank you that you took our sin and shame upon yourself, and God, we have heard that story, the old, old story, so many times, but some of us have grown cold and callous to it. God, this morning, I pray that you would prick our hearts and warm them with that strange warmth of the Holy Spirit in us. May we be convicted again to remember our first love, to repent of our cold and calloused ways, to repent of chasing after the false gods of this world, to repent of trying to figure things out for ourselves or trying to maintain our own reputation in this world. And God, we return to you We fully put our trust in you again as we surrender all that we are to you and receive the fresh wind and fresh fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts this morning. May we boldly go forth as your people now, full of your spirit in us, enacting your good purposes through us, living for you alone as a new creation in Christ. We love you, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, we're gonna have a response time now. The, the, the band's gonna come and, and we're gonna talk about walking with Christ every day that where our savior leads that we will follow. Some of you, if you're feeling that, that prick of the spirit today that you need to repent, that you need to return to your first love, <coughs> I would encourage you to do so. And, and I, I would love to talk to you about that. I'm gonna be in the south lobby today. If you wanna come and, and speak to me, about giving your life to Christ, maybe for the first time, maybe like my dad, you realize that you know the answer, you've been going through the motions, but you've never felt your heart strangely warm.